Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about what it really takes to build a foundation for your life. A theme we have explored before on the show, but one that looks different for all of us. Our guest is George Wong of San Francisco, California, who shares how his Buddhist practice of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo allowed him to turn a challenging experience with school and self-worth into a career in which everything he has experienced has created value. I'll let George share the rest. So uh, my name is George Koichi Wong. I'm 29 years old, um, born and raised in San Francisco, and I work in the civil liberties and human rights space in tech law. So I work for a nonprofit that works on defending our digital digital rights. Amazing. Very cool. Well, um, I know we're going to hear a lot today about kind of your journey to get into the work that you're doing um, and your journey with your Buddhist practice. So thank you again for taking the time to talk. Um, so I always like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super excited to dig into all this. Um, I always like to start with kind of like the story of how somebody encountered Buddhism. So if you could just tell me like briefly, how did you first encounter Buddhism? And then when you actually decided to start chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, like what was going on in your life at the time or why did you want to start? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, my parents practiced this Buddhism, so it was always around me growing up. Um, but for me, it was always something, you know, they would encourage me to try chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. I would see them chanting every morning and evening. Um, and they would attend meetings, SGI meetings in the neighborhood. And I always, for me, thought of it as just another responsibility on the list of things, you know, grownups make you do when you're a child. So I didn't really care about it growing up. Um, but it was always there in the background. Um, but I decided to start chanting on my own terms when I was 18. Um, right after I graduated from high school, uh, because I had really struggled academically um, and personally with middle school and high school. And I did really poorly, so much so that uh, when I graduated, I barely graduated high school. I almost had to take summer semesters to repeat um, a course. Mm -hmm. um, and I also was initially accepted into one university, San Francisco State University, but when my final grades came out, they rescinded their offer and rejected my application. And that's when I realized something needed to change. And seeing my parents practicing and always encouraging me, um, I thought, you know, maybe this I should give this a try. Mm. Well, yeah, definitely a critical, critical time, it sounds like, because um, it's already so hard to graduate from high school and figure out your life and then and then on top yeah. of that, you know, um, so do you remember like when you, when you first started chanting kind of how it felt or if anything changed, like what, what did those early days look like for you? Yeah, totally. I, it was a very subtle difference, but I did notice that like, so I really struggled with procrastination and facing my responsibilities or really facing any challenge that I was dealing with at the time, whether that's school or friends or relationships or, you know, any sort of responsibilities. Um, I would always put them off or if something bad happened, I would blame somebody else for it. Um, not that I thought of it in those terms, but it was 
it always came from a place of complaint, like, why did this happen? Or like, why is so-and-so doing this? Rather than, you know, what is, what's the cause of this? How can I, how can I fix this? Um, and when I started chanting, it was really subtle because at first, all of the um, stuff that I was chanting for, I started to like naturally want to do something about it. So the motivation, the, the confidence to try to do something, even if I didn't know if it was going to work, it just started to come out of out of seemingly nowhere. Um, and so, you know, in the very beginning, it was really my goals, the things that I was chanting for were so, so basic, you know, in retrospect. Uh, so at the time, one of the things I was chanting for is like learning how to study for an exam, because I would never, I never had a really good study habit. You know, I was, I was play, I would play a lot of video games. Um, I would try to coast through tests or assignments by doing the bare minimum. And it was always like just enough where I didn't get into too much trouble, but it was always like never enough to do well. Um, but as I started chanting, I really started to feel like I want to study. I want to do well in my tests. I want to, you know, get a good grade. I want to learn really. Um, and so it's kind of hard to describe that internal phenomenon because um, it's a very emotional experience, but it really changed like my mindset from the, from the, from the get-go, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 That totally makes sense. And I also love um, that as like an example, because when people are new to Buddhism, they often ask like, what do you think about when you chant? What do you chant about? And it can be something seemingly that tiny, but like, actually, if you really develop the confidence and the skills to learn how to study, it changes the trajectory of your life, you know? Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. And there's also, um, there's also things, smaller things that were like, at the time I was also chanting for like um, a job because I'd never had a job at that point. And I, you know, I wanted a job. Um, and it would take, it would take the form of like, just because I was chanting for a job, I would start to spend more time looking for jobs rather than doing like a quick scroll through Indeed or whatever. Um, and I would also naturally, you know, bring it up in conversations with people I'm talking to. And as a result, you know, my neighbor actually asked me, hey, George, I heard you were looking for a job. Well, I know somebody who's looking to hire somebody at the Starbucks down the street. And, you know, I kind of I said, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity. Um, and right now that seems kind of obvious to me that I would have said yes. But like in my teenage brain, I was I was lacking so much confidence that if I wasn't chanting for this, I very easily could have thought to myself, I don't know if I want to work at Starbucks. I don't know if I want to do this right now or talk to somebody about it or bother, you know, getting a job through a connection. Um, and I may have turned it down or I may have procrastinated on it. But um, I do remember in the moment thinking like, this is exactly what I've, what I've been chanting for. I'm looking for a job and my friend has a lead for me. And I went and applied and I interviewed and I got my first job at Starbucks that way. So again, you know, another small example, but that was a really big change for me at the time. Mm, yeah, yeah. Thank you for for sharing. It's funny. I always like to, um, you know, obviously it's it's like almost impossible to describe exactly how it is that chanting works. But one of my kind of favorite ways of thinking about it is that you really end up in the right place at the right time in the right life condition or life state. And if you have yeah. those three things, right, like then the opportunity comes and you're in a place where you're going to take advantage of it or you're going to summon the confidence if you don't normally have it or whatever it might be. So yeah, actually, yeah, exactly. exactly that, you know. Yeah, it's funny how that works out. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So yeah, thanks for sharing that that context. And I feel like um, 
you know, you're already sort of touching on the beginning of the theme that we wanted to try to unpack today, which is about, you know, what it really takes to build a foundation for your life. Because in um, Buddhism, you know, just for anyone who's new, we really view our youth as a time to like build a foundation of confidence and compassion and courage in your own life and like tap into your bootability, right? That's the whole point of like this period of life. And then Mm -hmm. really like, you know, make a difference in the world or or your family or whatever your dreams are. Um, however, yeah. if you're like not sure what you want to do or you don't feel confident in yourself, um, which you've already begin, begun to, to touch on, it can be really hard to like know where to start or what action to take. So um, I, I understand that you've had like a journey along these lines, both with school and your career path that your Buddhist practice really helped you navigate. Um, and I'm thinking like, can we start with just the context? So like kind of what were the challenges? I guess starting from this, you know, you're 18, you just started chanting, what was going on? And like, what is it that you were facing that you eventually were able to use your Buddhist practice to to challenge? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So starting from the beginning, um, I, because I was, um, my application to San Francisco State University was rescinded. I had no options for school except for the community college. So I applied to uh, be a student at the City College of San Francisco. And one of my first goals that I was chanting for, in addition to learning how to study, um, was to get a 4.0 GPA because I had never done that in my entire life at, at that point. And I really wanted to test this practice, if that makes sense, you know, because at the time when I just started, I was thinking like, if this works, I got to see some results. And <laughs> the surest way that I would believe this works is if I get a 4.0 because I've never done that before. So I started practicing very sincerely from my own initiative. Um, I was chanting for this goal of 4.0. I was a student at City College of San Francisco. I was working part-time at Starbucks and I was challenging myself to do things that I would was never doing before, you know, working, going to school. Um, and as a result of that, you know, in the two years that I was, I was there, I was able to take the courses that I needed to um, avoid any uh, administrative issues with um, being waitlisted for the classes that were required for the transfer requirement. Um, anybody going through the community college system would know how competitive it can be to get all of the requisite classes, prerequisite classes. And, um, you know, as a, at the time, I was really fighting in every class, studying really hard for each exam and each homework assignment in a way that I had never done before. Um, but as a result, after the two years, I was able to meet all of the requirements to transfer to uh, the University of California in San Diego, which at the time was the, the top uh, campus that I was allowed to transfer to, according to the transfer requirements. Um, and then after that, in San Diego, I really um, you know, faced new, newer challenges. I was in a university now. I was living on my own. I was living in a dorm with roommates. Um, and... Throughout then, I was also still chanting for the 4.0 GPA. So I, at that, at, you know, when I transferred from City College of San Francisco, I still hadn't achieved it yet, but I was really um, determined to 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 see it through. Mm. And then um, once I graduated from UC San Diego, I had a degree in um, political science and international relations, and I entered the the job market which um, if you know anything about political science grads, we have a very hard time marketing our degree 
in the in the field. So I, for the one year, I really struggled to find gainful employment. I had all sorts of odd jobs, temp jobs. I worked at a pizza shop as a delivery driver. I was a canvasser going door to door, collecting signatures for a petition and fundraising for a nonprofit. Um, I did all sorts of jobs, and then I, you know, I thought maybe I should apply for grad school. Um, so that was another challenge in and of itself. Um, but I applied to six schools. One of them, a couple of them were kind of schools that I did not expect to get into, what some, someone might call like a Hail Mary pass. But I put it on my application just to see where it goes. Um, and when I got the, when I was accepted, I was accepted to all of the universities that I applied to except for San Francisco State, which rejected me the first time. So I guess I was never meant to go there. <laughs> um, but anyways, I got into uh, Georgetown University, which is um, a very you know famous school. It was the first time I was accepted to a private school and a school of that kind of stature. So I was really, really uh, nervous when I got in. Um, and But as a result of you know continuing in my practice, I was able to graduate from this program pretty well and got a master's in conflict resolution and uh, worked a couple years in DC and then found a new job in San Francisco. And uh, that brings me back here. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a, I'm just thinking of the 18 year old. If you told him that's what you'd be ending up doing, (laughs) how would he have reacted? Yeah, exactly. If I told myself that, you know, 18 year old self that in 10 years, I'd be graduated from Georgetown university with a master's degree working in DC, I, I would not believe it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for for sharing that that trajectory. Um, and if you're okay with it, I want to unpack a couple pieces um, in totally. what you shared. So, um, I mean, the the first thing is like, um, you know, just to understand a little bit more, like how how Buddhism really helped you, or like how it functioned in in your life, like the consistent chanting, and I assume participating in the Buddhist community and those kinds of things, because. Um, on the one hand, there's like, you know, you work hard and you hustle and it all works yeah. out. Right. But like, it goes way deeper than that in Buddhism. And I'm curious, right. like in terms of what you started, to, like, what did you struggle with internally? I'm sure it wasn't a walk in the park where you were like, all I have to do is work hard. <laughs> I'm sure there right. was a lot you were <laughs> grappling with. Um, so I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah. Like, what do you feel like the internal battle was um, that like, what kind of things were you chanting about during that time period? Yeah, well, there was a lot of things. So like I said, I'm covering about 10 years. So I'm trying to you know, recall each of the details. So I'll do my best. Um, but some of the things were things like, um, some were really basic, you know, because when I moved to San Diego, that was the first time I lived on my own. So mm-hmm. it was things like waking up and even just chanting in the morning was a challenge, you know, because even though, you know, I say I'm a practicing Buddhist, I'm also a teenager or early 20s at this point. So I would get lazy and I wouldn't want to chant in the morning. Or I wouldn't want to chant in the evening, even though, you know, that's part of our daily practice. Um, some some of them are a lot more uh, long term. Like I, I was saying about the 4.0 GPA, that took me all four years uh, of City College and then UC San Diego, um, where in my last semester, I was finally able to achieve that 4.0 GPA. Um, along the way, there were things like, you know, confidence in myself because, you know, it really is a daily practice because it's a daily struggle for me to be confident that I'm supposed to be in university, that I'm supposed to be studying political science, that I'm meant to graduate. Um, cause in retrospect, it's easy to connect the dots, but at the time I was constantly doubting myself 
I was constantly worried about, you know, is it worth taking on the student debt? Is it, did I choose the right degree? Am I studying hard enough? Am I going to get a job in the career that I want? Um, a lot of, you know, really, really small daily struggles that really added up. But every day was about how do I challenge myself to keep encouraging myself, keep going, keep studying, keep improving, um, mm. despite all of the setbacks. Because, you know, life isn't a linear progression. There's always setbacks and times when I feel like I want to give up. And then there are times when I feel really good. And the challenge, I think, is staying on top of that up and down. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, this is I honestly, this is also real so far. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, can relate to to this kind of, you know, because it's like you have to simultaneously be working hard and advancing in your daily life, which Buddhism helps you do. Um, but at the same time, like when you don't know where you're headed, it can be there's this like existential dread or worry or anxiety, yeah. like, where exactly. am I even going? Is this going to work out? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I really struggled with is, um, is uh, imposter syndrome. Um, because I always um, felt like I wasn't good enough to be in university. Um, I went through the public school system, elementary through high school. Uh, and like I said, I didn't graduate. I, all, I, I graduated, but I almost didn't graduate. I had to go to community college first. And then I got to a, a four-year university. And I always had this doubt that I'm not supposed to be here, but I somehow made it by accident, um, mm. as if none of my efforts really counted for anything. Um, and then on top of that, I always questioned whether I'm studying the right thing, whether political science or international relations is the right thing, because initially I, I chose to major in psychology. Um, and then I switched my interest to public education because of based on my experience in the public education system. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of got into political science because I realized that, you know, systemic issues are more it exist outside of education, too. Um, and the whole time I, I kept thinking one of these days, somebody's going to find out that I'm not a real, I'm not worthy or I'm not a real student or, or, or whatever. It doesn't make any sense. It's irrational, but it, it's a genuine fear, hmm. you know? So it's that constant, constant voice in my head. That's going like, are you really fit for this? Do you really want to do this? Is somebody going to catch you? Hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely a real challenge that, um, uh, having a daily practice really helped to uh, keep at bay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I feel like you're you're pointing out such an important thing, because whether it's in school, or it's in your work environment, or in some cases, you're the first um, in your family to pursue a certain career path or um, type of education, like that feeling is very, very real um, for many, many people of just like, someone's going to find out I don't belong here. This was a fluke. I'm yeah. like, you know, going to get kicked out or I'm going to fail or I'm going to whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm, were there any sort of like turning points that you recall where you felt like, okay, I don't feel this way anymore. Like I actually do believe in myself now because that's like hard to transform. And I'm thinking from totally. the perspective of anyone listening who might be like, how did you get there? Because that's how I feel right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a great question because I think there were, a couple turning points and I need to caveat the saying that going back to what I was saying earlier, that there's a lot of up and downs, that it's not a linear progression. I feel like each turning point came at like a, at different stages because I'm always going, you know, up and down 
but generally on an upward trajectory in the in the long term. Mm -hmm. So one of those turning points was at the end when I graduated from UC San Diego, um, having that sense of closure that like I graduated from a university, I have a degree, I completely turned my academic life 180, going from rejection from a, from all the universities I applied to to graduating. Um, and at that point, it also timed coincidentally with a program I took part in at the university called uh, UCDC, where we studied one quarter in Washington, DC. And that was something I had never planned on doing, but I, I was, it was a pivotal moment emotionally in my life where I felt like I wanted to prepare for my career when I graduate, but I had no idea what to do. And I learned about this program and I thought, why don't I just apply and see what happens? And this was something I was chanting for too, to find a, like a path forward in my career. Um, and then when I applied to the program, I got accepted to my surprise. Hmm. I went to DC for my final quarter of school. I had an internship on the Hill, um, on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress. And I finished that internship and then I graduated. And I remember looking back during my graduation thinking, I enjoyed the UCDC program so much. I enjoyed living and working in DC for a short period of time. And I really want to do that, but I never would have planned on doing that. Looking back, I applied almost on a whim because I thought, why not? That's an opportunity and I shouldn't just let it go. And, and I'll apply and see what happens. And it really changed my perspective at that point from a, a pattern of thinking that I used to have before, which was, I shouldn't try something if I'm not serious about it because that's just a waste of my time and effort. And essentially that was a fear of failure. I didn't want to do something if I didn't know I was going to go through with it. Um, and then I realized that I've actually gone to a point now where if I see an opportunity, I'll try for it, even if I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so that really made me realize I've changed in the last four years since I graduated high school. And then that really started to accelerate more later on when I got um, into Georgetown University, I was really uh, nervous about failing uh, because I was at an elite institution. I was at a private school. I was surrounded by a lot of students from various socioeconomic backgrounds, but many of them were better off than I was, financially speaking. And I kept thinking to myself, like, if I don't work hard, I don't belong here. Again, that imposter syndrome coming up again. Um, so as I was studying at Georgetown, I started to realize that like I am capable and I do deserve to be, be at the school with all of my peers who, you know, from the surface seems to have a lot more going for them than I did. Um, and then when I graduated, it really solidified my confidence and like I should seize the opportunity if I see one. I shouldn't arbitrarily decide what I'm capable of before I try something. So I, when I was applying to internships or applying to jobs or applying to travel opportunities, study opportunities, whatever it was, my, my pattern of thinking had changed 180 from, I don't know if that's going to work. So I don't know if I want to try to, I don't know if it's going to work, but I might as well try, hmm. you know, and that's a subtle difference. But for me, that was a huge difference. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That makes total sense. And I feel like what you're, what you're describing is, um, you know, another way to look at or or define bootability is it's this like vast 
limitless potential that we have in our lives. Like it's not yeah. finite and it's exactly it's, you you can tap into this like infinite resource, but we don't necessarily grow up in a society that's telling you that. Like we we grow up believing Definitely not. I have this and I don't have this. Here are my limited resources and I'm gonna just calculate what I can and can't do, which is like the opposite of Buddhist practice. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you. And that is yeah. true that I think in society we are told, like, you know, stay in your lane or whatever it is. Um, but like in, in this Buddhist community, as you as you meet a lot of people, and especially people who've been practicing for a long time, um, they always encourage you to like, you know, chant for whatever it is that you want. Go for mm-hmm. it. Don't mm-hmm. limit yourself. Um, and for the, you know, untrained ear, it might sound like they're just encouraging you without regard for like what your capacity is. But now, you know, in now that I have this perspective, I'm starting to realize that it's not that they they haven't seriously considered your capacity. It's that they've experienced so many obstacles in their life that they've overcome. And many of them were probably things they didn't think they were capable of before, but it turned out they were able to. And so like that's that limitless capacity or limitless potential that, you know, they're trying to encourage you to realize is that like we have a potential that is limitless. But oftentimes we're conditioned by society or by personal experiences that we're, we, we probably won't be able to do it. But mm. that's that's a limitation we're putting on ourselves. Right. Why? Why? Sh- you know, don't quit before you try, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, I feel like this is the part that unless you've experienced chanting, it's so hard to understand, which is yeah. why I feel like the best way to learn is just to try. But like right. when you are chanting even if you don't know like what the right next move is or if that goal is going to pan out in the way that you're hoping, you can trust that like whatever is happening is the right thing for your life simply because you've been chanting. Do you know what I mean? No, that's exactly it. It's, you know, because because that's a that's something that came with my imposter syndrome is not knowing what my next step is, not knowing what I should be doing. Um, and I that really made me hesitate a lot of the times. So if I had a, this used to be my excuse. If I had a goal, I would be fine because I know that's where I'm headed, but I don't have a, I don't know where I'm headed. So I don't have a direction, so I can't really move towards it. Um, And so this is related, you know, this relates to my studying political science, which is a very broad field. International relations is a very broad field, even conflict resolution. When I got into Georgetown's conflict resolution program, one of the first things they emphasize that it's a very broad and interdisciplinary field. For those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's essentially the um, study of peace research and conflict dynamics. So we study peace researchers like Johan Galtung, who talks about the you know forms of violence like direct violence, structural violence, cultural violence. Um, but we also study anthropology and how human beings, human societies came to evolve. We study international relations theory and how countries interact with each other. We study psychology and how humans between like two human beings can come into conflict. Um, And we even study sometimes art as one form of resolving a conflict. Mm -hmm. So it's a very creative field and people take it in all sorts of directions. I had no idea which job I wanted. I just knew that I broadly wanted to work in international relations. I broadly was interested in human rights. I was broadly interested in nuclear nonproliferation. There were a lot of things that I was interested in, but I never specialized in anything. So I always felt like I didn't know what specifically to chant for besides 
having good grades. You know, another thing that I wanted to ask about is that um, kind of like you alluded to a little bit, getting through school and like checking the boxes and really working hard is like a major accomplishment. But then, of course, joining the job market and, mm-hmm. you know, entering the real world, quote unquote, um, can be really difficult. So I'm curious how you ended up like, like, where are you now? And like, what did the sort of challenges or or journey in terms of your your practice and like what you had to really battle look like in that period? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, yeah, so when I when I graduated from Georgetown, um, I had a job that was that I thought I'd re- enjoy doing, uh, but it turned out to be like a really stressful job that had nothing to do with the the skills that I had or the interests that I had. And I really I started to develop some anxiety symptoms, um, mm-hmm. and I was really questioning like, you know, why am I doing this job? I have a master's degree. I study conflict resolution. I've had more interesting internships than this. And the job that I had was very unfulfilling and I ended up leaving it. Um, and after that, you know, I really struggled in the job market. DC is a very competitive market. Um, everybody on paper has very similar, you know, resumes, very similar cover letters, very similar interests in political science or international relations. And so I really struggled to put, you know, make myself competitive. And there were there was a few months when I was unemployed. Um, I worked through a temp agency, and this was in 2019. So in the December of 2019, I found a temp job working in an office making essentially sales calls in an office that resembled an Excel spreadsheet. It was just gray cubicles as far as the eye can see. <laughs> and I was really struggling at that point, and I was really chanting to find gainful employment. And some of the things I was re- challenging at the time is thinking, why didn't I specialize in a specific topic? Because uh, like I was saying before, I had a lot of various interests um, and my internships were also kind of all over the place. Um, so I, you know, I felt like a generalist. I didn't specialize in any specific region or topic. And I kind of thought this is why I can't find a job. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of really you know, different jobs and uh, I had a temporary job in uh, December of 2019. And then in March of 2020, I found a, a permanent job, but that's also, as you know, when the COVID pandemic started and lockdown happened in DC. So that job was actually delayed by several months until July of 2020. And even then that job was really fulfilling, but it wasn't the exact field that I wanted to be in and that I studied for. And it was also a field that I had classmates who studied that exact topic and weren't working in that field. So for some reason, I, I felt really guilty. And again, imposter syndrome, those symptoms started coming up again because I was thinking, you know, why did I get this job at this firm when I didn't study this in my degree when I actually had classmates who were more knowledgeable about this. And I even asked them for some like textbooks for, for help on this because I wanted to be more knowledgeable. Um, and I really thought to myself at that point that like I need to find a job that I actually am prepared for, that I'm actually interested in and that I'm really, uh, you know, have the skills to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, at the time I was also getting very involved in my Buddhist community. 
Um, cause you know, there's this idea that there's, if you're, if you're having a setback or if you feel like you're not making any progress, you know, in, from a Buddhist perspective, there's always something you can do. And, um, one of the things I was thinking about is reaching out to my friend from college. And because we've had a lot of conversations about religion before at the time he was talking about Taoism and I was telling him about Buddhism. Um, and we also talked a lot about careers because uh, we studied the same degree at uh, UC San Diego. So, you know, I decided to reach out to him. I wanted to see if he might be interested in um, coming to a Buddhist meeting with me. Um, and when I talked to him, we started talking about our careers naturally. And he told me actually that when I shared that I'm, I'm having all of these uh, uh, insecurities and doubts about my job, he told me that there's a job opening where he is working at. And it was for a legal assistant position. That's something I never would have searched for on my own because I didn't study law. I'm not a lawyer. I didn't go to law school. But I was really interested in human rights law from a conflict resolution perspective. And they were hiring for their international team. So the legal assistant position was for their international team. And I saw an opportunity and I thought I should apply for this. And long story short, through a series of interviews, you know, I got the job and I was able to move back to San Francisco, my hometown, which is actually one of the things I was really um, chanting for is to go back to my hometown. Um, and as you know, San Francisco is a very expensive place to live. And I never expected to be able to pay for uh, living in San Francisco based on the career interest that I had, which was in international relations. So when I got this job, it was actually a really, really big, you know, eye-opening moment for me because I finally felt like I was recognized for the worth that I have in terms of the skills and interests. Because, um, you know, even though it's an administrative skill, it takes a lot of, you know, knowledge of. So it, I'm a legal assistant on the international team, and one of the things that we're doing now is participating in the UN uh, cybercrime convention negotiations. And the UN, UN system is something I, I was I'm really knowledgeable on because that's something I that's somewhere I wanted to work in originally when I started college. And one of the skills that it required is attending these meetings and taking a lot of notes. Um, and it turns out actually, uh, one of the first jobs I had right when I graduated from Georgetown, the job that caused me so much anxiety, um, and I complained about. One of my main responsibilities was to take uh, live transcript notes during meetings. And at the time, I was questioning, like, why am I doing this? I have a master's degree and I'm taking notes in a meeting. Somebody could just record this meeting. But, you know, now, several years later, that skill of typing live transcripts at, you know, 90 plus words per minute is literally one of the main responsibilities I have now. And I'm taking part in the UN process. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was like a really big, you know, benefit for me because I really, I saw that like all of the efforts that I was making, even at times when I felt like all of my efforts wouldn't amount, like I, I didn't make that connection, but in retrospect, I feel like all those efforts that I was making was leading up to this moment because without that experience, I don't think I would have been able to be doing, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that yeah, grammatically yeah. correct? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Things really do sort of like line up in a way that you can't plan or predict. Um, yeah. I feel like I can really relate to that experience simply from chanting. Like that's the difference between here's here's a plan I made for myself and now I'm going to execute it. Uh Oh, it's right. not working out. 
versus like, I'm going to chant and just do my best wherever I am and keep advancing. And then it just like lines up in this incredible way <laughs> somehow. Yeah, definitely. And like, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because when you look back, it's like, oh, it all makes sense. You know, I had all of these various experiences and they're all contributing in this way. But like at the mo in the moment, I was really like, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. And it was really kind of scary. Yeah. So, you know, it, like just to sort of um, synthesize a little bit, it, it sounds like kind of underneath all of these experiences that you shared and this journey that like at times was linear and at times was bumpy and at times frustrating and at times really moving forward, um, like nothing was really wasted. And that's such an important kind of idea in Buddhism, because um, in Buddhism, like we don't practice just to get to where we want to go. Like we end up uh, sort of obtaining this like richer, broader view of life and like respect for ourself and all parts of ourself and all parts of our experiences. Um, mm -hmm. So that said, I'm curious, like, you know, now looking back on the experience and just thinking about um what you were studying at the time or like how you were learning to make sense of what you were going through. Are there any um, like Buddhist ideas or concepts or quotes that you feel like helped you navigate that journey or gain this perspective that you're able to share now? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, I mean, there's so many that I want to share, but I think the most, the one that crystallizes it most is um, for me, this concept called dependent origination, it's, it's a, it's a, the basic idea is that everything has a cause and effect. Everything, you know, one, everything leads to something else. Nothing just appears out of nowhere in a vacuum. So there's always a cause that caused something and there's always an effect to every cause you make. Um, and, um, this, this really resonates with me because I always felt like I don't know I, I'm always, I was always doubting, like, is what I'm doing right now meaningful? Is it going to lead to anything? Mm -hmm. um, and in retrospect, I found that like everything I've ever, all of my experiences, all of the things that I've had to overcome in one way or another is contributing to where I am today. Um, and like more acutely to the job setting, it, it, there's a quote that I want to share because this has been so helpful for me. Sure, and this sure. is a quote from um, Daisaku Ikeda's book, Faith into Action. He's actually quoting his mentor, Jose Toda. And he says, President Toda said that the most important thing is to first become indispensable wherever you are. Instead of moaning that a job differs from what you'd like to be doing, he said, become a first-class individual at the job. This will open the path leading to your next phase in life, during which you should also continue doing your best. Such continuous efforts are guaranteed to lend you a job that you like that supports your life and that allows you to contribute to society. Hmm. I like that because, you know, in retrospect, like that, that's kind of how I feel I ended up here. One, another thing that really helped me when I was really struggling um, after I left my job, my first job uh, after Georgetown, and I was re in a really uh, low spot and I needed some encouragement. I was, one of my Buddhist friends uh, told me something that I still think about which is that in Buddhism, or from a Buddhist perspective, you know, we can't change the past, but we can change what the past means. Mm -hmm. um, and Daisaku Ikeda also talks about um, his mentor saying, you can make a defeat the cause for future victory. You can also make victory the cause for future defeat. And that was really important for me because when I left that job, I thought I, I was giving up and that I was defeated. Um, because if I was really 
working hard. I would have stuck it through. I wouldn't have quit my job. I would have overcome whatever it is I was challenging. Um, and I could have made, you know, I can make a million excuses, but the reality is I already, I, I quit the job and I left and I can't change what I did before, but I can change what the past means to me. So is the fact that I quit this job going to lead to, you know, another growth opportunity, or is it going to lead me to just feel sorry for myself and not, you know, mm. nothing would come out of it. So that would, that's another really, you know, important concept to me that like, even if we, even if we have setbacks, even if I have times when we feel like we didn't do our best, like today's a new day, tomorrow's a new day. We can always start fresh and do something about it rather than regret what we did in the, in the past. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That's yeah. That's such an important concept. And I love that quote. Um, and I, it kind of comes yeah. full circle to where we started, which is really like this period of time is to build a foundation. And so mm -hmm. not to worry too much about if we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, or is this going to really work out? Like when we're young, we just have to develop like what you've described, like, like a great sense of confidence and a desire to take action and keep going. And like chanting really helps you do that. <laughs> so thank you for yeah, sharing that. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been amazing. Um, thank you for sharing everything you did. I know it's also like a personal journey. So um, thank you for sharing it so honestly. Um, I always Absolutely. like to end the show with the same question, which is a piece of advice. So um, if you could give a piece of advice to someone who is listening, who's new to chanting and currently struggling either with confidence about their future as you were or you know, it could be related to school or entering the job market, you know, kind of just like going through what you've gone through, what one piece of advice would you give them? That's a great question. If I, if I were to reinterpret that question as what's one advice I would give myself <laughs> 10 years ago when I was struggling, it would be that, you know, if you're chanting, try chanting as a test. And don't worry about the specifics too much of like, I need to have a plan. I need to know exactly what's going to happen next. And so that I can plan the next five years, the next 10 years, because I was a, I still am a long-term planner. I like to know what I'm doing now, what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now and how to connect those dots almost to the point of like obsession. Um, but you know, in retrospect, you can't, you can't always like connect the dots before, before they're drawn. Hmm. So I, you know, my advice is that like, instead of focusing on like, what are you going to do next? Focus on what, what you can do now, because there's always something you can do now. And this connects back to like what president Toto was saying that like, if you're struggling at your job because you don't like it and you're complaining and you want to move on to the next job, or like, you don't know what the next job is going to be instead of worrying, like, what's, what's the next job going to be like, really dig deep into what you're doing now, what are you doing at your job now? Or if you're a student, like, you know, into your studies now, um, because that's how you open the path forward until you improve where you are today. Like you can't move on to the next thing. You know, it's like, it really comes back to building the foundation. Like I really like that metaphor that building a foundation because oftentimes we're thinking about we want to build this nice house. But the first step you do is you build the foundation. And that's the part that nobody sees, right? That's underneath the ground. And if you, you can't skip that step and go straight into building the house, you can't start from the roof 
and then build down. You have to start from the bottom with the foundation. And if you don't have a strong foundation, maybe you, you will be able to build a nice house. But as soon as a tornado or an earthquake or any sort of you know, calamity comes by, that house is going to immediately collapse. But if you take the time now to build that solid foundation that nobody from the outside is ever going to see, but you still build it, then once you have your house, no matter what tornado or winds or earthquake or flooding happens, that house will stay standing. That's my advice. I want to leave you today with the following words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda, which is from a chapter in the book Discussions on Youth called Finding Happiness in Your Work, an amazing resource for anyone starting out in their career. Ikeda writes, Life is long. The real result of your daily efforts will be revealed in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. So it's important that each of you find something it doesn't matter what, with which to challenge yourself while young. Regard youth as the time to study and train yourself. We each have a unique mission that only we can fulfill. But that doesn't mean you should simply wait for someone to tell you what yours is, doing nothing until then. It is fundamental that you discover your mission on your own. On that note, as always, if you're new to chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, we have plenty of resources on how to get started at Buddhability.org, including a free course that covers everything you need to know about Buddhism. And as always, if you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can always email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.